Hey, what's going on? Jason Bay here. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, a podcast for sales reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with prospects, uh, but hate when they send out a lot of cold emails and make a bunch of cold calls and don't get very many responses to it and feel like it's kind of a grind. So my goal with this podcast is to help you remove the suck you know, from outbound prospecting and help you get more meetings with your ideal clients. Today, this is a part of our leadership series, and we're talking to Ethan Hall, who is a sales development manager at Top Software. Let's get to the episode. Uh, I'm super excited for this one. I met Ethan through LinkedIn, actually. He, him and his team have been following my content. We connected. I talked with him. I was like, dude, love your energy, man. <laughs> you know, it seems, sounds like you're doing a lot of cool stuff. Let's record a podcast together. And I've been working with a lot more uh, sales development managers and you know people managing SDRs and BDRs. And that's where this series came from. But one thing in particular that I think you're really going to like about Ethan, because his team is just killing it right now. And he's in his, I think he's in his first, depending on when you listen to this, maybe first six to 12 months on the job. So he's been promoted very quickly at the company. And there's one thing that they do that I think that's just so awesome that's really underrated. You're probably gonna hear it and you're probably gonna think like, hmm, I, I just, you know, never really like thought of it like that before. And he calls it relationship building extras. So what they do every single day in their stand-up is come up with what they call RBEs, relationship building extras. And it's just things that people can say to break the ice with a prospect before they call them. So for example, if they're calling on specific territories. They'll literally like look in the cities and like look at like what stuff is like in that city. It could be things that they've personally gone and visited. It could be clients they're working with. It could be restaurants they've been to. And they'll craft these like openers where they talk about something that's very local to the prospect that's like completely unrelated to why they're reaching out. And that's why I think it's pretty counterintuitive. And I think this like concept of rapport is like really overlooked. You know, um, there's this kind of feeling that we need to get straight to business. And they have a really cool thing that they coach their teams on on how to build these relationships and how to get these conversations started and just be good conversationalists. So I think you're really going to dig this one. Before we get to the episode, I got one quick favor. If you like this podcast and you haven't yet, I would love a quick review from you on iTunes. It helps to uh, get more exposure for the show and attract more people like you, which I would love to do. So check it out on a, the podcast app or your iTunes app. Blissful prospecting should pop up. I'd appreciate that. Let's get to the episode. So I want to ask you an icebreaker question. I already learned that you're a huge Def Leppard fan. You shared that before we started recording here, <laughs> which I'm super stoked about. What was your favorite childhood breakfast? What did you eat when you were a kid for breakfast? Oh, man. It's hard to say because... My mom, she was awesome growing up. She was the type of person I swam in in high school and age group in college. You know, I've been swimming a long time. She was amazing. She used to wake up with me at 5 a.m. for all of um, my morning practices in high school and used to actually like make me not like an elaborate breakfast, Pop but like in some waffles for me or something. But I loved eating eggs and bacon and pancakes and bacon. But my favorite overall thing is the pigs in a blanket with like the sausage links and the pancakes. You roll them up with like the toothpick in the middle and you get the like the real maple syrup on there. Oh, dude, that 
You'll you'll see a happy boy over here if I get that. You're eating good in the whole household, man. There in the, in the mornings. <laughs> a lot of times when I ask people this question, and it kind of depends on where they're from, actually, too, like what country they're from. I ate like a very traditional, I would say, American breakfast, like cereal, like Reese's cocoa puffs, pop tarts, you know, like muffins, like all this stuff with like just it was highly processed, lots of sugar. You sound like you're eating pretty good, man. Okay, so let me just uh, back up. I ate all those things too. Don't get me wrong. I had the Pop-Tarts. I had the Lucky Charms, the Fruity Pebbles, you know. So I definitely had that too, but I was also very much into the sausage and maple syrup and all that stuff. So I mean, you were swimming too, which um, you probably burned a thousand, couple thousand calories a day, I would imagine, swimming. So uh, you had a little bit of wiggle room too. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so, how did you um, how did you get into sales, man? Because you know, a lot of people tend to get into sales on accident. Usually, is is you know the common story. But what about for you? How did you get into sales? That's a really wild question. Um, so, just to kind of give you some background, I got my degree from Ball State University in Indiana, and coming into college, my background that I wanted to achieve for myself was I wanted to be a state park or national park property manager. Super specific, right? So I ended up getting a, a natural resources and environmental management degree, and then a side degree on the foundations of business management. And I did that. And I went out and worked some different state parks in my earlier 20s and went in for interviews for an assistant property manager position. And since it's a government position, they're like, there's no way we're handing the keys over to a 23-year-old without any direct management experience coming out of college. Absolutely no way. And every position that was not an assistant manager or something was a seasonal. And it was like 10 or $12 an hour. Like there's just no way I could do that. So I decided to go out into the world and figure it out at age 23, back in 2013, 14. And um, I ended up working in uh, Santa Barbara and I went from Indiana to all the way to Santa Barbara, California. And I ended up working with this guy named uh, Keith Austin. And Keith Austin, when I met him, he was 70 years old and he was a gray marketeer for the professional videotape industry. Now, I know you're laughing because you're like, what what the hell is professional videotape probably? Because you're like, oh, digital camera cards and hard drives are what we are used to, right? Well, I want anybody who's listening to this and you know was born probably in the 80s and 70s, 60s, maybe, what people used to use for video anything, whether it be TV or movies, were these giant video cassettes called HD cam, digital beta cam, HD cam SR, all these different formats of actual v- giant VHS tapes. And this guy worked by himself. He used to have a big company, but he's just by himself now. And he needed somebody to come in and basically be his, his sales apprentice and learn everything that he had acquired over the past 40 years and learn logistics, sales, you know, business operations, accounting, how to speak to people like on in trade shows and all that type of stuff, all encompassing, right? And 
it was just so wild to learn from this guy and learn this dying art, this dying sale when everybody else is using a different format. There's like less than 1% of the TV and media industry in the entire world that are still using these platforms. So it was a very ancestral community of people that bought and sold this stuff. So we would have people in our industry that would buy and also sell to us. I know it's crazy because they like they'll they'll get the product, but they also sell the product. But they also are, you know, in conjunction with Sony and Fuji and Panasonic, Maxell, all these big players. And the only person at the time when I started that was still actually manufacturing professional grade video was Sony. So we would go from the manufacturer to the resellers. And we would be the in-between, the gray market between the manufacturers and the resellers who then would sell to like another reseller. And then the end product user would be like us, right? Going into Walmart and buying like tape, right? So I just want to kind of break down how that process looked like. And we would exploit exchange rates throughout the world to get the best deal on getting a certain percentage of the sale, right? So we would buy let's say maybe in pounds. And then we would be able to export that you know, and have our product actually in the United States. And it would translate to where it would actually work out where we could get some markup and some benefit from that. It was a wild, wild way to learn sales and to learn how the world worked. Yeah, that's interesting, especially at that time. Yeah, because that's actually the time that I was living in Southern California was like 2011 to end of 2013. So how did you get into like what you're doing now and then like into like you now you're in a sales management role like how did all of that happen? Yeah, so you know it's funny as, as I told you before it was a dying product, right? And when you only have 1% of the entire media world looking to buy that product, how can you possibly you know maintain a business that only 1% can buy? And they can only buy so much at a time, right? So to be honest, the company got bought out and it got acquired. And then after about six to eight months, my division was basically phased out. And, you know, they took care of me. You know, they gave me a great benefit package to leave and all that stuff. But I had to find my next gig. And there was a few companies within the Santa Barbara area that I really had my eyes on. Procore, which deals with SAAS construction management, they had a beautiful campus right on the cliffs of the ocean. And I was like, wow, I would, it would be awesome to work there. Long story short, I did not work there. I did not get a chance to work there, unfortunately. But then I ended up talking to one of my buddies who was in the sales development team for this company called Appfolio. And Appfolio, as you may or may not know, deals with property management technology for SAS. And they specifically deal in the rental industry. And that's their bread and butter, hands down. And they are very, 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 very well known in our industry now, constantly getting acclinades for being, you know, Fortune 500 company, best company of the year situation. And they have a great culture there. And it's a wonderful place to work. I'm like, man, that'd be great if I could, you know, maybe throw in my hat into the uh, the ring there and, and maybe join it as an SDR or as you know they call them a uh, business development rep so BDRs and with my reference and you know going through I think it was 
six, seven interviews. It was extensive. They, I got in. I got in and started working for my first actual position within the tech industry, like modern day tech industry, I'll, I'll say. <laughs> and it was such a wild, eye-opening experience to, to work for a company that was so supported and so developed and so encompassing on how much they care about the success of their employees. And not that Keith didn't care about the success of my you know, well-being, but it was obviously a mom and pop situation. Even though he was really well-known in his sector across the world, he was just you know, a one-man show. Well, now we're talking about a corporate situation, right? Where there is literally hundreds of people working together for one cause. And that is to make sure that the rental industry has a product that is really top-notch. And we're talking world-class. I mean, there is nobody, in my opinion, better in the rental industry than Appfolio, bar none. And I loved it. I loved every moment at Appfolio. The teammates were great. And, you know, being able to learn from the AEs and the people who managed the AEs and what best practices were and what it meant to really be part of that, that corporate team was irreplaceable. And after about three months of working as a, a BDR, I set, I think, two appointments within the first two weeks of me on the phone. And it was just a matter of just talking to people, talking to people like they're humans, not like they are XYZ prospect that I can't wait to get on a call for XYZ AE. I just opened up Google Maps and I had no idea about the industry, by the way. I was just like, I'm going to call people. Like, I got the opportunity to start calling people. I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. I'm going to just open up Google Maps, find out where they are, find a cafe or a restaurant that they're close to, and just start talking about that. Because at least at that point, I could be like, hey, do you know about Bella's Cafe two blocks from you? You know, like, I heard it's really good. Like, I went on their Google reviews, like, oh, yeah, their biscuits and gravy are like amazing. And so they're like, oh yeah, they're basically like, they're so good. Oh man, have you been? And I have to be honest, like, no, I, I actually haven't been to Bella's Cafe, right? But I saw that it was really cool. And I saw that it was in your area. And I just wanted to have an awesome icebreaker to talk to you. Right? I'll be honest with you. I am cold calling you. I am calling you out of the blue. I'm disrupting your day, right? And they're like, wow, that's super transparent of you just to straight up tell me that. And I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is exactly what I'm doing. If you don't have time to talk to me, I'm okay with you telling me no, right? So it's like, you just gotta be upfront and like flush out the no's and flush out the, the weird things that are already known, but not said, right? And people respect that more than you can possibly ever know. And because of that, I had a lot of early success. And I did that and I found that we needed to move from California to Florida. And I just so happened to move laterally from Santa Barbara to Florida and work at one of Appfolio's competitors, Tops, which specifically does HOA, property management, and community associations instead of rentals, which is a, a huge difference in what people do. It's a difference between like actually owning your home and renting out your home. And if you work, if you live in an HOA, you have things like collecting dues, like monthly dues that you, you pay for the association to live in that area. And the whole thing about HOAs, Jason, is that you want your property value 
to stay high. And that's the whole reason or a big reason why people live in HOAs, because you don't want your neighbor who has their grass eight feet high. They have a broken down tractor in their front yard collecting, you know, rust and their place looks really bad. And you, you don't want your property to suffer because of that. So that's why HOAs exist because, you know, they have rules in place where you have to have things a certain way, or you're actually going to have, you know, a fine, right? And there's specific things that an accounting platform needs to have management tools to help this kind of be an all-encompassing, all-in-one platform. And that's what TOPS One does. And that's where I work today. So there's a couple things that you shared there, I think, that are super important to dig into. Two things come to mind. One, there's this like, I'm a human being on the other line. How do you transfer that skill to your reps? How do you train them and coach them around the areas that you had success in, specifically around this, like, just, dude, just be a human? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just that. But yeah, so your question was, how do you teach you know, the SDRs to be like me, to be using best practices like this? And the answer to that is, you almost want to have your conversations with the SDRs almost be like the ones you're having with the prospects and just be human. Just be like, hey, listen, if you were to put yourself in the prospect's shoes and you were to say to them, hey, listen, did I catch you at a bad time? And let them answer the question, yes or no. And if the answer is no, go ahead. You have the green light to say what you need to say. If they say, yes, you caught me at a bad time, respect that. But then also have an action item and be like, hey, Glad that you let me know you're busy. When is a better time for me to give you a call back? Do I, I want to have a meaningful conversation with you, but I don't want to catch you at a bad time. So it's like, how would you want to be treated? If somebody was calling you who you didn't know, but it, it affected your day-to-day, it affected your job, and it affected the business that you work for, you would want to be respected too, right? If you, Let's say you're a property manager and you're out in the field and you're in Texas, right? And you, um, and I'm going to give this as an example because this is real life. You're in Texas and you had to deal with all that snow here recently. It was awful. And you know, if you rent, then you have maintenance managers and property managers that are dealing with burst pipes that it's freezing outside and the pipes freeze and they burst. And you're telling me if I call into a property manager who is neck deep in water, And they answer the phone and they're like, yeah, this is a bad time. I've got a pipe literally bursting. I don't even know why I answered the phone. You're not going to be like, hey, let's talk about product, about how to make your day better. You're like, they're going to be like, dude, I'm sorry. F you. And and, and then hang up the phone and probably you're going to lose that respect for that person. Right? So it's like, you got to understand people's day and ask, ask for that time. And they're going to respect you in the same way. There's a difference between being persistent and being a nuisance. Try and find that fine line is do a little bit of trial and error. Every single SDR, every single BDR has their own style, their own way. Not everybody's going to talk like me. Not everybody's going to talk like you, Jason. Everybody's going to have their own way of dealing with people. What all I can do is give them a template, a guideline, a spreadsheet of best practices to learn from. And then you, you know, as a BDR, SDR can then choose how to best handle those guidelines and those templates, how you want to speak to people in a more humanistic way. As long as we stay to the basic format of not being salesy, being consultive, and I cannot stress that enough, 
that is one thing that we tell our SDRs every single day is if I see on our sales force report, emails getting sent out that sound too salesy, I'll just straight up say, hey, listen, I love the content of your email, but they're never going to open it. And they're going to be like, well, well, why not? Well, you literally sound like somebody who's trying to sell them an upgrade to their current cell phone. Like, I love my cell phone. Look, I mean, I, you can't, we're on a podcast, you can't see my cell phone, but like, I love my cell phone. And if I get somebody who's trying to like upgrade me from my Android, I'm going to be like, dude, no, <laughs> I don't want that. So taking the approach of title of your email being, hey, I have a webinar invitation that I want to send to you. I think it'd be super impactful for your business and have all that in the email of the title. They're going to be like, oh, okay, like I'll open that up. And then you can see exactly what it is I'm trying to say. And I think that's really important when trying to establish boundaries and respect and keeping that humanistic point of view. Yeah. How do you reinforce that? like with your reps, how often do you do one-on-ones? Like, do you teach us in a team setting? Is there a certain amount of time that you're, you know, kind of just monitoring what people are doing? Like, what, what does that kind of look like? How do you set up your week to be able to kind of reinforce these types of skills? Yeah. And it, it's a matter of not being too micromanagey as well. Cause nobody, nobody wants to be micromanaged. That's like bare one, right? Like that's rule number one. Obviously some people need more attention than others. Some people are more self-starters. Some people need a little encouragement. Some people need a little bit of push in the right direction and tweaking, right? The way that I go about it is, you know, I'll typically look at the uh, key performance indicators, the KPIs, uh, right around 11 a.m., just to make sure people are making calls and, and sending emails out. And then I'll check it at the end of the day. I'll check it maybe at 4 p.m., 5 p.m., just to make sure that, or maybe even 3 p.m., depending on what kind of day we're in. And if at 3 p.m., I see that you know, person X is only at 15 calls or 20 calls for the day, and it's 3 p.m., and that's Eastern time, so they only have you know, two-ish hours left, it's going to be like, hey, you, know, you haven't set any meetings today. Like, What's going on? And honestly, like, that doesn't happen ever. Like, My team is really on top of it. So I, I've never had to do that. But it's good for me to know, you know, where our goals are for the day. I check it probably two to three times a day. And I don't think that's necessary to do anything. And just more set than a that. friendly reminder, hey, you know, I just saw that, you know, you're here. How are you planning on and asking the question, how are you planning on getting to your goal, uh, your daily goal for the end of the day? And just let them answer the question. So it sounds like there's a couple check-ins and I think that you're totally right there where it's like, dude, you don't need to be checking this stuff like every single minute and like being like, you know, pinged and like all this other stuff you need, like you need to actually have time to do your job too. How do you like with one-on-ones and like team meetings, like how often do you do those? And like, when do you try to prioritize doing stuff like that throughout the week? Yeah, it's really important, especially right now with, you know, COVID regulations in place for a lot of companies. Uh, I know a couple states have lifted the COVID regulations, but a majority obviously have not. And Florida is one that has not. So at Tops, we are still working fully remote. We have the option to come in and work if you want to, but it is definitely not required, right? So everybody is still staying home. So instead of having a morning meeting, let's say at 8 o'clock or 8.30, which is what we actually did in 2020, 
we actually had switched it to 1130 in the morning instead. And the reason we did this is because we found that it was better for people in the morning, especially working remote, to be able to have that morning time to to sleuth the accounts they want to sleuth and to have the time to have that drink of coffee in the morning from the comfort of their own home and not have to worry about jumping on a meeting right at 8 a.m. All we're asking them to do is send like a, hey, a good morning to the team between eight o'clock or 7.55 to like 8.10 to let us know that you're in, you're, you're getting moving, you're, you're sleuthing your accounts, you're getting your day moving and that we're going to be actually making the calls sooner than later, right? And then, you know, what we do at 11.30 is we actually have a breakdown of like, hey, here's what I've seen so far in the day. Looks like you person or Y person had this conversation. Tell me about that. And we're actually able to, as a team, talk about the accounts, the 20-ish, 25 calls that we've already made by that time. And then, you know, basically break down, hey, how did you handle that objection? How did you handle the success of them wanting to learn more about pricing and features about our accounting platform. Did you answer it or did you finagle the meeting? So a rep could answer that, right? You know, and just kind of going through the different things that would need to be done. And then everybody learns, everybody benefits. And we try and keep that to a half hour so then you can take lunch and all that type of stuff. And that format's worked really well for our team. And it's caused a massive increase in KPIs. Yeah, so you're basically, you're doing like a 30-minute stand-up every day. And you're letting them get a few hours of activity in, which is great because then you have topics and it doesn't become a, well, Ethan, where are you at today versus your, where where are your goals versus actuals? And everyone goes around the horn and you eat up like 20 minutes with just people reporting stuff versus it sounds like you have like specific things that you're going to have everyone talk about based on the activity that you're uh, observing in the morning. Absolutely. And then we have an all hands meeting on Monday mornings at 930 to 1030. That way we have every once in a while, our, our CEO will jump on those meetings with us and and he'll get a kind of a breakdown of what's going on. We'll have our director of marketing join that one. We'll sometimes have, oh, we have our business operations girl, Chelsea, who also jumps on that meeting. And we go through what we want to see for the week, some action items, whether it be an increase in LinkedIn activity, certain spiffs that's going to get announced in the beginning of the week. And all that type of stuff. And it's super beneficial to have that hour in the beginning of the week to kind of jumpstart everybody in the right direction. And is in that time, is there anything else you guys are doing from like skill development training standpoint? Or is it mostly like, hey, here's what's going on, here's what we're gonna be focused on, and kind of like uh, you know, general, you know, kind of guidelines? Hundred percent. Yeah. What we're trying to do more of this year in 2021 is do more role playing more situational things where, for example, I love to do objection deflections with the SDRs. So you're going to hear somebody tell you no at least like 50 times in your day, right? You might get like three or four yeses, but you're going to get a lot of no's. And you can get a higher ratio of yeses if you know how to handle the objections of no's and try and, you know, finagle away from that, right? So it's... We do exercises, whether it be RBE training, which is relationship building extras, where you can actually go in and really focus on what you want the beginning of the conversation to be about and really make that more humanistic approach. So I'll be like, hey, so what are you guys planning on using as your RBE? And then I'll go through each and every SDR and be like, hey, so what do you want to do? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, um, 
you know, the weather in Texas has been crazy. If they're telling somebody in Texas, they'll talk about, hey, how are you doing out there? Are you doing okay? At the time, like the Super Bowl was going on, like, hey, who are you rooting for, right? Just like something completely not related to business at all. And if the SDRs are thinking about that before they start making calls, they're more likely to actually do that in their calls. Can you talk a little bit more about these RBEs? I think that's a pretty cool you know, sort of idea because most of the time when people call, it's super serious, right? And there isn't really much, you know, going on in terms of, I don't think of relationship building when I think of cold calls, you know what I mean? And this seems to be like a big piece of it um, for you. And you gave an example earlier, how do you coach around these RBEs and like, what does that process look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I argue this is probably the single most important thing that a cold caller can do. Reason being is if you can't connect with that person over the phone, they're going to hang up on you. They're not going to give you the time that you need to explain why you're even calling in the first place. So a relationship building extra or an RBE, it could be as simple as knowing that person lives in Santa Barbara, California, for example. And you could be like, hey, hey, I'm calling in. Are you busy? Oh, you're not? Great. Well, hey, I just wanted to give you a quick call here today. Hey, I saw that you're in Santa Barbara. Funny enough, I, w- I lived there for six years. Have you ever been to X restaurant? Oh my God. Yeah, I go there every Sunday. What's your favorite meal? Oh, it's bacon and grits. Like, you know, and just going through like what their day looks like and something that you have in common with them, right? And then eventually they're going to, at some point, you don't know how long that's going to be. It could be seconds. It could be minutes that you just are talking as a human being, right? And they totally don't even realize you're a cold caller. You're just talking about Santa Barbara. You're talking about something that that you have in common with them. And then eventually they're going to be like, okay, well, hey, I just realized this has been a great conversation, but how can I help you? Right. And, you know, we've been talking for five minutes about Santa Barbara and, and good food and restaurants. Who are you with? What's going on? And then you can laugh about it, right? Like, hey, you know, I'm totally right. I'm so sorry. And then you can go into like your beginning of your pitch. How likely do you think that person, is going to set a meeting with you after you've already had that genuine conversation, other than you just jumping in like, hey, I'm person with X company. I've helped this person with this problem. Are you interested? Whether than like just actually having that conversation first, right? They may give you that meeting and they may listen to you simply because you had that random conversation that you just started with the RBE. They're going to remember how you made them feel. I love this. Can you share some other examples too that like just common things that like your reps are using? Because I'm thinking like if you get the location in common, that's one thing. You may or may not be able to find that depending on who you're reaching out to. Like what are some other examples? You've mentioned Super Bowl. Like what are some other things that you hear your reps doing that like works pretty effectively for these RBEs? Funny enough, it really depends on the characteristic of each SDR. You know, I have some SDRs that just love sports. I mean, they love sports, right? So they're going to talk about Maybe the uh, the football team that the the prospect is closest to. Like, hey, are you a, are you a Raiders fan? You watching that game? Or hey, you are you a Colts fan? I see you're in, you're near, you're near Indianapolis. So you watching the game tonight? Or it's hockey season now, I believe, right? So you know, I could be like, hey, you're in Chicago. How those Blackhawks are playing tomorrow? Are you watching that game? It's kind of a crapshoot because you don't know if they're you know a sports fan or not. But you know, you kind of have to take a shot in the dark, right? Sometimes you just don't know. And the way you can fix that and have a higher chance of it being a good conversation is doing your research ahead of time, right? So one thing that I was told here at Tops is the more research 
that you do and the more prepared that you are before you call and the less prepared that prospect is for your call, the higher probability you are going to be able to set a meeting for that person and that company. So if you went on LinkedIn or you went on and you Googled their name and you found out that they set a world record for the most hot dogs eaten in two hours, right? But you, you did some research ahead of time and you found out that they did that. Why, why wouldn't you bring that up in a conversation, right? Like, hey, I, I hope this isn't weird, but I Googled you and I saw that you have the world record for the most hot dogs eaten in two hours. I'm sorry. I, I have to know about that. Can you tell me? And then they're going to be like, oh yeah, I fully haven't recovered. I had to get a surgery for that. Oh, it was awful. But you know, it's like just doing that research, getting back to the main point, right? Is just, it's just taking that extra step, making that extra vineyard or drift video to send to that prospect. Do video prospect. Oh my God, do video prospecting. If you're an SDR and you're not video prospecting, what are you doing? Like anybody can call, anybody can email, but if you're not putting your name to your face and vice versa to that prospect, that you're missing, you're missing some big steps, man. Like I'll be so much more inclined to have a meeting with somebody if I get a video message from them. Like you took an extra 10 minutes to make that video for me. I'm at least going to respond back, right? And it's just doing these things, right, Jason, to really make yourself a differentiator between SDR at company A and SDR at company B. So one thing you bring up that I just want to highlight that I think is kind of a, I don't know if it's a lost art or at least on LinkedIn in this small echo chamber on LinkedIn gets talked about a lot where it's like, oh, personalization versus relevance. And like all of a sudden now it's like not okay to mention something personal about the prospect that may not even be related to why you're reaching out. And I just call total bullshit on that because if someone cold called me and said, hey, is this Jason? I was like, yeah, this is Jason. What's your favorite Def Leppard song? I'd be like, ah, okay. You know, Hysteria is one of my favorite songs. Who, who is this? Oh, hey, well, I just saw you're a Def Leppard fan. I had to ask you. And like you used this phrase earlier, you know, I just, I couldn't not ask you. You know, I saw this thing about, I just couldn't not ask about it. But anyways, my name is so-and-so. And the reason I'm calling is this, like you immediately have an icebreaker and it doesn't have to be related to like what you're selling. I mean, we would do this in, um, when I in college, you know, I went door to door selling house painting services, and one of the things they taught us a lot was just like how to build rapport with people, right? Like, how do you actually do that? Because I don't have the gift of gab. You know, I'm not one of those people that comes into a room and can just talk to anyone. That's not me at all. But what they taught us was, you know, when you're sitting in the home, like, just look for different stuff the person is interested in that you have a common interest in. You're gonna find something. You're in their freaking house, right? And we would have 15, 20, 30 minute conversations sometimes with homeowners about stuff that was completely unrelated to painting their home. And for some reason, this is like taboo. And again, I only see this on LinkedIn. For some reason, it's like taboo to do that in B2B. But I look at all of the people that I've sold training projects to, and like all the clients I work with, and you know what? We had some sort of commonality around some rapport that was unrelated to business. We might have only talked about it for two minutes in the entire call, but we had something that was unrelated. So I just want to highlight that because these like RBEs, like I think it's super cool because even if they miss, most prospects are going to be like, oh, it's it's really clear Ethan tried here though. Like he researched me. He's not just like, I'm not just in some dialer where he's speed dialing through 500 people today and I happen to pick up the phone. You nailed it. You nailed it, Jason. I want to get away 
And I understand that SDRs have to hit a certain number of calls per day. Mathematically speaking, it makes sense. So you, you basically prospect with a net, right? You cast your net out. You see how many no's and yes's you can get. When you become more advanced in your pitch, in your way of connecting with people and being able to make a conversation out of nothing, I want the SDRs to start hunting with a spear instead of a net really taking that time to get to know them on LinkedIn, send them that drift video, look on their website, see if they show their annual budgets for their their community association, screenshot something on their website and put it in an email. Say, hey, I was on your website. I had to send this to you via email of something that I saw. And using a spear mentality to really get those meetings, because you know what happens at the end of the day when you work with a spear? instead of a net, you're going to have more closed one deals too. You're going to catch some smaller fish with a net, but you're going to make some giant revenue on some great accounts and build lasting relationships with companies. If you can really show them that you want to be not just a technology provider, but also a partner for their business. I cannot stress that enough. We have now entered, and this hasn't, for some reason, this hasn't changed, but we've lost sight of this. What happened to the days, and this is even before my time, 60s, 70s, 50s, where what was wrong with being a provider of a product or a service and also being their partner, right? We've almost sometimes gotten away from being able to provide that service, but also provide that customer service, that product, and then also provide that customer service. That's equally as important because no product is perfect. Everybody's going to have hiccups. Everybody's going to have questions or problems or concerns. It boils down to how are you going to be able to react to an issue promptly, I would say is a very important adjective to initiate in that sentence, and help those current customers with the problems they have. Because let me tell you, if you can't in a timely manner, they're going to go somewhere else and you're going to lose a customer. Yeah, even prospecting with a customer service mindset is so powerful because now you're thinking about like who who can I help versus who can I sell to. And I'm not against selling stuff. It's not about not selling because I, I, I'm not a proponent of that either. Oh, you're not selling, you're helping. But when you're prospecting, you're not selling stuff. Like prospecting and selling, those are two totally different functions. You know, you're, you're trying to start conversations and those conversations hopefully will turn into meetings. I want to get back to the one-on-one conversation though. How often like do you do one-on-ones with the team? If so, like how often? Like how does that get worked into your, you know, uh, schedule? 100%. Very important. Very very important. Um so the structure that we have, I still do some one-on-ones, but my specific boss does a majority of the one-on-ones with the team. And I'm here to facilitate the day-to-day. If any questions get brought up during the day, they come to me all reporting, all all KPIs, all that stuff I handle on a day-to-day basis. I will start having more one-on-ones with individual SDRs if I see some breaks in their personality. That's huge. And some people don't get this, is that I'm not going to say who this is on our team. I don't want, I don't want to be you know any name calling or anything, name posting. But I had an SDR who he isn't as vocal about his emotions as others, right? And that's totally fine. You're in a work environment. You don't 
feel like you can confide in your boss or your your manager or whoever. And I saw his numbers start dipping. And I saw, and this is our top performer, by the way. And he has consistently hit his goal six months in a row since basically he started. Like this guy is a self-starter. He knows what he's doing. He's smart. Very, 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 very good. Very happy to have him on the team. His numbers started dipping and people started beating him. And I reached out to him privately. I said, hey, I'm noticing that you know you aren't as tenacious as you typically are. And he at first didn't really give me a reason why he said, yeah, I'm just having an off day. I'm like, okay, no worries. I just want to check in on you. Make sure you're okay. Continuing the trend, right? He's still, and numbers were still the same, maybe a little bit worse, but not too much. I reached out a few days later. Hey, I'm just, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I, this is the human realistic point. And this is not just for prospects, but for your team members too. Be a human, be a human being who cares. And I said, listen, if you're struggling with something within work, let me help you. This is what I'm here for. If you are struggling with something that's not within our boundaries of work, you don't have to tell me. But if you need somebody to talk to, I'm opening my door to you and know that you have somebody that will want to listen and hear what you have to say. And you know what happened? Because I opened up and was a human being and not manager or boss or supervisor, human person wanting to help another human. He let me know that his grandfather was dying who he was very close with. And because of COVID, he can't even go and give him a hug. How do you handle that? Like how, how, and you, you speak to people in the sales industry all the time and deal with these kinds of situations. And obviously COVID is a major topic for all kinds of stuff. How would you handle, Jason, if you are a sales manager or a sales supervisor and your SDR told you that? Oh, I just feel like I try to put myself in that person's shoes. Empathy, man. You know, what's this person feeling? Like, how can I get them to open up a little bit about what they're feeling and let them know that they have people that care about them and that I'm willing to listen, help in any way that I can? You know, it's the listening part, man, and figuring out what that person needs, you know, for me and like how I how I can be helpful, even if that's just listening. And something that's the hardest part is listening without commenting. And I, I know as a guy, I don't know, maybe I'm generalizing, but I, I tend to want to fix things if there's a problem and I feel like I can solve it. I'm going to do it immediately or ASAP. And I have, for, for example, for my fiance, sometimes she's like, listen, I don't want your help. I'm having a bad day. Just listen to me. I'm like, okay. I can do that. And it's like, I didn't understand that for so long. And I'm sure some people who are listening to this are probably laughing their butts off because they're probably in those shoes too. And it's like, sometimes you just kind of take a step back and be a human and be like, that human being that I'm talking to just needs to be heard, right? And it just, so we're, we're kind of tying this all together, right, Jason? Whether it's a prospect, whether it's your team member, whether it's your fiance, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever it is, your mother, your father, your friend, sometimes you just got to be a human and just listen and then ask questions for further understanding, right? Don't give advice, ask questions about the situation. And it's interesting how in an SDR role, it can prepare you for so many different faucets of life and so many different skill sets. I became so much of a better listener after I became a BDR at Upfolio. 
and continued on being what I'm doing now at Tops. No, absolutely, man. I love it. Uh, before you take off, this has been a great uh, interview. We talked about a lot of stuff like you know the skill transfer, being human, the RBE concept. I think is super cool. Any resources? Any favorite resources that you have on sales or sales management or leadership? You know, books, podcasts, people you recommend following? Anything like that, man? I hope I'm not being too cheesy, but you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, you are bar none my favorite person to keep up with on LinkedIn because your content is usually spot on. And I'm not going to lie to you, I, I have taken some of the things that I have heard and seen from your channel and your profile and put it on, on my team. So besides you, I would say that if anybody out there is not utilizing Vidyard, or Drift Video for video prospecting, please take advantage of that or any kind of video prospecting tool. Being able to put your face to your name, whether you call or email somebody, sending that personalized 30 to 60 second video of why you're calling, whether it be your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, 18th touch on that prospect, whether you've been working them for a year or even if it's your third or fourth touch, being able to do that is a game changer. So definitely take advantage of that. I would say anybody out there that isn't using just LinkedIn in general, get on there. Do that triple touch. Do the email. Do the phone call. And also send them a message on LinkedIn if they are on LinkedIn. And let me be specific about that. When you send that connection request, don't send it about business. Connect with them and then message something about they posted. You know, nobody wants to be sent a connection request and also be basically prospected at the same time, right? I've seen some videos and interviews that you have done on your channel where you're like, no, that's nobody wants that. Nobody. So make that connection on them first with that, that triple touch, which is something they, they are interested in first. And then maybe after a week or two, be like, hey, love your stuff that you're putting on LinkedIn wanted to actually talk to you about this. Do you have a sec? They're probably going to be more open to it than you just blasting them and being like, hey, what's going on? So I'm going to sell you something. You know what I mean? So I would say just utilize that and just be a human. Dude, love it. And then lastly, uh, real quick, where can people go to connect with you if they want to connect on LinkedIn or check out more info about your company? Yeah, so specifically about Tops software, we've, we've been in business for 30 plus years. Literally, all that we do is HOA and condominium owner association software, accounting platform, which also has management tools. So if, if anybody out there is in property management that does HOA stuff, I highly recommend you go to topsoft.com and check out our platform. And then if you want to connect with me personally, I am on LinkedIn and it's just Ethan Hall. And if you are a LinkedIn wizard, then you just put in the specific area of people. If you can go to the people section and type in like the St. Petersburg area, I should pop up. There we go. Cool. Thanks for coming on the show today, man. I appreciate you, Jason. That was a really fun interview with Ethan. Again, just love his energy. Uh, I didn't get a chance to put it in here. But the, the thing that he did at the very beginning when we recorded our podcast before I hit record is he knows that I'm a Def Leppard fan. So he's saying the first part of pour some sugar on me <laughs> with a Def Leppard shirt on. It, uh, it was hilarious, but uh, I don't have that recording for some reason. I thought I recorded it, but I didn't. Um, so Ethan, sorry about that, man. But 
Uh, one really big takeaway, those relationship building extras, I think is the big action item here. What are some local things that you can train your team on in the places that they're calling so they can talk to prospects uh, like they've been there before, like they live there, that sort of stuff. So thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe if you aren't so you can get these episodes in the future and we'll talk to you soon.